But this month, we've been talking about the book of Ephesians, and we've had this series called From Death to Life, which I just love. I love that phrase. And it's funny because what I've been learning, actually, going through this series is that this theme of death to life is so common throughout the book of Ephesians. Paul references it several times throughout the whole book. And it's so cool because in a way, we've been engaging with that concept, with that theme. And you may not even recognize it um, or may not even be aware that we've been doing that. And so the first week we did this, we had baptisms, which was awesome. We had some new people get baptized into church. Um, It was so cool to be a part of and see. And baptisms are just an outward expression of an inward change in us, right? That it's a symbol of us dying to ourselves and being alive in Christ, having new life in him, death to life. And then today, we observe communion, right? Another remembering of Jesus' death, right? Dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and his death and his resurrection that gives us new life and life eternally. And so, you know, we've been kind of unwrapping this theme of death to life in so many different ways. And it's funny because what I have been learning as well is that death to life, this theme, is actually something that Paul uses to encourage the church. You know, that might not always, like, talking about death is never easy. But it's something that he uses to encourage, like, hey, we are no longer dead. We are now alive in him. And the question I pose to myself is, you know, why is Paul using this theme to encourage the church? Like, why not use something else? I think the simple answer is, is this, is that spiritual life is so much better than spiritual death. Spiritual life is so much better. There is nothing truly better than living life with Christ. And we know that to be true because we can look at Scripture. I mean, the only thing that God has desired from the beginning, you look at Genesis, the only thing that God has desired from the beginning of time is to bring life. That's it. In Genesis, he created us in his image. He breathed life into Adam and Eve so that we could live with him. And even when we had life that ultimately led to death, what did he do? He sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could have redeemed life and life eternal. Life is so precious to God, so precious to him. I would argue that it's really the only thing he cares about is that we have life. And if there was anyone that knew that to be true, it was Paul. His life without God quite literally brought death. I mean, before Paul was a Christian, he was killing Christians. He brought death into the world, destroyed lives, and his life had no meaning or purpose. But with his life with Christ, his life with God, produced abundantly more life. Impacted generations upon generations. I mean, I can't even count how many people have been touched by the story of Paul. You and I today have been touched by that story. And so I think the reason why Paul is drilling this theme into their heads, death to life, is because he himself experienced that and understood that life is foundational to God. John 10.10 says that I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I mean, God desires life. And so what can we learn from Ephesians? One, we can learn that life is precious to God. 
He cares so much about life. He cares about your life specifically. Not just your physical, but more so your spiritual. He desires to nurture it, protect it, care for it, pursue after it. And the second thing we can learn from Ephesians is that I need to understand the significance of living life with God. And I love what Paul says in Ephesians 5. In verse 2, he says, live a life filled with love. Underline that word love. Live a life filled with love. For those of you that don't know, in the New Testament, there's four different forms of the word love um, written in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is written in. And so different forms of that love express different um, types of love. And in this specific case, Paul uses the word agape, agape love, which means unconditional love. And it's funny because that same word agape is used to describe God in 1 John 4. God is agape. God is love in 1 John 4, 8. So what we can really say, you know, in this verse is we can say, live a life filled with God. And continues, he says, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice to us, a pleasing aroma to God. Underline that. A pleasing aroma to God. You see, living a life with God brings a pleasing aroma to him. And so the question becomes like, how do we actually do that? How do we live a life that pleases God? I understand that like I have life, but how do I live it? You know, I have this funny story. A few weeks ago, um, Joe's son, Jason, came up to me and asked the weirdest question, to be quite honest. He asked me, Sobe, what's the one thing you regret not doing before you got married? I was like, this is really random, number one. Um, and two, let me think about it. And I thought, and I, you know, I remembered when I was 18, the only thing I wanted to do was go skydiving. I just wanted to go skydiving when I was 18. That's the only thing I wanted to do. I just, you know, the thrill of like jumping out of a plane and like, I don't know. For a lot of people, you may be like, that's weird, man. I don't know if I want to do that. But for me, it was like, man, I really just want to feel the air like catch me. And um, yeah, I really want to go skydiving. But, you know, I realized, number one, whenever I, I decided not to go skydiving at 18, the chances of me doing it in the future were probably slim. But they got even more slim whenever I got married. Um, <laughs> Because there's no way Reagan would let me go skydiving. That's for sure. Um, but, you know, I think, too, I just realized, like, I am way more concerned about my life now that I'm married. I just am. You know, because my life is not my own anymore. It belongs to her, too. And I have to keep that, you know, in the back of my mind. And I need to take care of myself. You know, in the same way that, like, in college, my diet consisted of frozen pizza and frozen french fries. Right. And, you know, I loved it. And back then I had a really good metabolism, but now it's not really working that much. Um, and, you know, I have to take care of myself now. I have to eat healthy and make sure that, you know, I'm exercising and doing all these things so that I can live long with her. And, you know, if I want to have kids, I want to live a long life with my kids. And a lot of you parents know that. Right. Like the moment you had kids, your life's changed. You couldn't do anything crazy anymore. You couldn't do anything reckless, right? Because your life was no longer your own. 
you had changed habits, and you were probably more precautionary. Would you agree? Like you just took more intentionality with what you did. You see, when we have something or someone else to live for, we are more mindful of our lives. And the same is the case for us as Christians. When we move from death to life, what we realize is that we're no longer living for ourselves. We're living for God. Our lives belong to him. And so we need to be mindful of how we live it. And so that's what Paul kind of starts to discuss in Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 3, he says, Let there be no more sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Remember, moving from death to life means that our lives change completely to be more like Christ. And it doesn't all happen at once. It doesn't mean the moment we decide to follow God, like, man, I am just 10 times better of a human being. It's a progress, right? But we make a decision in that moment to say, hey, my life is going to look different. Paul's life literally changed from being an enemy of God to becoming an instrument for the kingdom. And so when we say that we die to ourselves, we also die to living in sin. We also die to living the way that we used to, right? To be better. He continues, obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not of you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things, and the, don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. You see, what we need to realize is that not only have we moved from death to life, but how we live our lives affects whether or not other people around us will too. You see, if you claim to have new life in Christ, but you do not live that, you don't model that new life to anyone else around you. And actually, Scripture says that you are a stumbling block. You lead them further away from actually living the life that God intends. And you know, as Scripture says too, like, I'm going to produce what I sow. I'm going to reap what I sow. And so I need to start living in a way. Like he says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light. So live as people of light. I got to live it. I need to do what I need to do to live in a way that produces life only found in Christ by modeling how he desires me to live. He continues and says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. And, you know, I'm reading these verses, and uh, I think the initial reaction for me is, man, I just need to get on Facebook and find every person that's doing the wrong thing and make them know that they're doing wrong, right? 
And I, you know, I don't think that that's what Paul's talking about. You know, I don't think we need to go call out, um, you know, and, and, and be abrasive towards people. Um, it kind of reminded me of in college, we had this lady called Sister Cindy, um, and she would get on campus. Uh, I, I went to the University of Missouri, and at the center of campus, there's this place um, called Speaker Circle where everyone can go and you can hear someone talk. And she would go to Speaker Circle and she would basically just shout at people and just be like, you are sinning and you're going to hell and all this stuff. And, it, you know, it just, you know, she liked it. It roused people up and got her a crowd. But, man, it was, <laughs> honestly, it just shook me to my core to be, you know, to know that I'm a Christian and to see someone else claiming to be a Christian like that and doing that, right? I don't think that that's what Paul's asking us to do. I think what he's asking us to do is simply live in a way according to God's standards and let our lives speak for themselves. We don't need to get on Facebook and call out every little thing. What we need to do is just live how he's called us to live and let our lives do the talking. He continues and says, this is why it is said, awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand that the Lord wants you, to, what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So to sum up all that we just read, Paul is saying that we just need to be mindful of how we live because we no longer live for ourselves. We died to ourselves, right? Right? Our lives are no longer ours, and so we need to live in a way that represents God the best. And as you go on in chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6, Paul gives specific examples of how specific individuals need to live. He gives examples of how wives should live, and husbands, and children, and parents, slaves, and masters. And I would caution, as I always do, be sure to understand, like Joe talked about a few weeks, the context of scripture, what's written um, for the specific people, who the audience is, and for that specific time. Obviously, today, we don't have slaves and masters, right? We don't have that anymore. So that's not specifically applicable to us. But the content is still true, right? And the way that you can maybe think about it today is, if you're an employer, how do you react in love and live in a way that shows Christ to your employees? If you're a student, how do you live in a way that honors your teachers, right? And so we just need to look at the Bible in context and understand what it means to apply it to today because that's super important. But how many of you know that moving from death to life doesn't always mean it's automatic? doesn't mean that in a moment you're completely changed, right? Sometimes changing to be more like Christ is hard because we've built up habits that are bad that we need to get rid of. And, you know, some of those sins that Paul mentioned in chapter 5 are things that some of us are maybe even living today, right? Maybe we are greedy. 
Maybe we do say crude jokes or slander or gossip. Maybe we have idols in our life that we need to get rid of. It's not uncommon. The reality is, is that we're not perfect. And God's not asking us to be. What he is asking us to do is to strive to be more like him. And so sometimes death wants to creep into the new life that we have. And what we got to do is say, no, I don't want that. And so how we do that is we protect ourselves. You see, my, uh, my father had a friend. He was a motorcycle driver. How many motorcycle people do we have in here? Quite a bit. Okay, okay. Well, this guy loved bikes. I mean, he tried to take me out once, and I was like, I'm good, man. But um, he loved bikes, and unfortunately, he got into a really bad car or really bad motorcycle accident. Um, fortunately enough, he came out with his life, and actually, he kind of came unscathed, but it was really scary because they didn't think he was going to make it. And it's funny because <laughs> I feel like most motorcycle people, they get into accidents, and their initial reaction is to get back on the bike. I don't know how many people are like that, but he was so determined to go riding again. And then he had a kid. And he remembered how bad that accident was. And he vowed to never ride again once this kid was born. Because he didn't want to risk his kid losing him. And, you know, so... My dad's friend, in that moment, what he decided was that he was going to protect what he had, right? He was going to protect his life because he realized his life was no longer just his. He prioritized protecting his relationship with his kid over just fun, what would have been fun for him. And that's what we got to do with our spiritual lives. We got to protect ourselves in a way that, man, our lives, in our understanding of knowing that it's not just about us, we need to protect it for the glory of God. And that's what Paul ends Ephesians 6 with. Starting in verse 10, he says, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Underline that. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground. Protect yourself, right? Putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You see, in order to protect our spiritual life, we need a spiritual defense. And that means understanding that your enemy is probably not the person in your cubicle next to you. It's not flesh and blood. Right? There is an enemy, the devil, that hates you and wants your spiritual life. And so we need to protect ourselves with God's armor. And some of you may have heard the armor of God before. You know, I heard it growing up as a kid in church. 
Um, they growing up as a kid, they had some really funny ways to show the armor of God to us kids. Anyone heard of Bible Man? Anyone heard of that? It was this TV show that they had of like this superhero that like armored, you know, he had armor that correlated all these the armor of God, and it was funny. It's creepy little, you know, they had like creepy weird bad guys, but it was really good because I never forgot the armor of God to be honest. Um, and so. You know, like Paul references, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. And this armor is not physical. And I love it because, you know, <laughs> I think sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you can take things very literally, which is not what Paul's trying to do here. Paul's trying to give an analogy of spiritual disciplines we need in our lives to protect ourselves. What we need to understand is that in this context, Israel was ruled by the Romans. And Romans at this time were the kind of the forefront of technology. They knew how to make the best armor, make the best weapons. And so Israelites were seeing all these Romans walking around in all this armor. And Paul, in a way that he wants to correlate how we need to practice these things in our lives, gives them this analogy of the armor of God. And so we're going to kind of go through and, and kind of unpack what all of these mean. First, we have the belt of truth. And, you know, looking at Roman armor, the belt was actually what held the whole armor together. Without the belt, everything falls apart. And so it's funny that he, he gives um, truth. He gives the belt truth. Truth of who God is, his character, his commandments, his love and his desires is what secures us. In the same way that it secured that armor. Then you have the body armor of righteousness. And it's funny that he uses righteousness to describe the chest plate or the, the body armor because righteous, you know, the chest plate is what protects the heart, right? And righteousness, living a life of holiness that protects our hearts is so important because sin can come and it, it will want to corrupt our heart. But it's by living as holy people in accordance to what God asks us to do and what he calls us to do that we protect ourselves. Then we have the shoes of peace from the good news. The message of the gospel is one of peace and unity under the lordship of God that we carry with us as we go into the world, right? As Matthew 28 calls us to do. And it's really the gospel that helps us endure. Without a knowledge of, man, what God has done for us, what he's called us to do, right? As his people to share his love with others. We can't endure. It's hard to endure. It's hard to go on in life when things are hard, when things are bad. I know for me, without remembering that God loves me, that he has a purpose and a plan for my life. Next, we have the shield of faith. When the enemy attacks, our defense is our faith in God. Then we have the helmet of salvation. It's our remembrance of our salvation that protects our minds from belief that we are slipping. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that, but there's times in my life where I'm like, man, God, am I even living for you? Am I even doing what you've asked me to do? And it's through a remembrance of our salvation that, man, we are redeemed. That seriously, death, from death to life means that we no longer have to live dead. We can live in life and life abundantly. And we don't have to go back. 
But our salvation is what protects our minds from that. And lastly, we have the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And notice that the sword is the only offensive weapon in the whole armor of God. Everything else is defensive. And, you know, I love this story in Matthew 4 of when the devil comes to tempt Jesus, right? And what does he do? He uses the word of God to attack and say, hey, your lies are just lies. They are not truth because I know what scripture says. I know what my father says. And so it's through having just these disciplines, but just a knowledge of all these things that we can protect ourselves, protect the spiritual life that we now have in Christ. We can understand how to have truth and righteousness and peace, faith, salvation, and scripture in our lives in every aspect. And so I encourage you today, if you value your spiritual life, you'll be proactive in protecting it. If you value the life that you now have in Christ, you will protect it with your life. And so how do we actually do this in practicality? You know, I, I've always heard of the armor of God, but it, it, it was hard for me to understand how do I apply it? You know, do I, it's not something I can put on every day. How do I implement it into my daily walk? And some ideas to do this, one is prayer. You know, I learned at an early age that praying the armor of God over my life each and every day is something that constantly keeps in mind how I live for God. If I'm asking God to give me his truth in a really untruthful world, he'll give it. If I know that I struggle to be righteous, that I have sin that I struggle with, asking God to show me how to be righteous in a given day protects my heart. Asking the Lord to bring to mind scripture so that I can fight against the devil when he comes to tempt and harm my mind. Man, it's on those days that scripture just comes to mind when I need it. And so prayer is a really effective way to do that. Second, we can just be cognizant of how we live and whether or not these things are a part of our life. Maybe you've neglected reading the word. Well, it's going to be really hard to attack when the devil comes. So read, pick up your Bible, spend five minutes a day. Maybe you're really struggling to be righteous. Have some accountability in your life and say, hey, brother, I need you to keep me accountable. I need you to keep me on the straight and narrow, iron sharpening iron. Sister, I need you to pray. And lastly, we just need to evaluate and be vulnerable. Like we did today before we took communion, make that a daily practice of Lord, examine my heart. Where am I far from you? Where do I need to realign myself to be more like you? And so to close today, moving from death to life means keeping your new life. Trust me, the Lord did not come and die on a cross and give us eternal life for you to lose it. He desires that for none of you. What he wants is that you keep it. And the way that we keep it is by protecting ourselves. The 
the change that God has done in your life doesn't mean that it ever has to be lost. And so please, I plead with you, protect it. Put on the armor of God. Practice these disciplines, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. Because there is an enemy that wants your life. In every possible way, he wants your physical life, but more so your spiritual. And so we need to protect ourselves. If we want any chance of being the best parents, the best followers of God, the best hands and feet in this world, we need the armor of God. We just do. And we need to live life abundantly. And so I'm going to pray real quick. Go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes. You know, what I've learned in life is that my life, seriously, like Paul, before God, it was meaningless. It didn't have any purpose. It didn't have anything. But the moment he entered in, it changed completely. So much so that, man, for me hearing this message today, protecting the life that I now have in Christ, it almost like shifts my heart to even think of going back to life without him. And there may be some of you in this room where you're like, man, I don't even know if I have life with Christ. I haven't even made a decision to follow him. Trust me, in the same way that he wants to protect those that he has, he wants you even more. And so if that's you today and you're like, Pastor Sobe, I want life with God. I no longer want to live a life without him. I recognize that I need him. It only takes making the decision to follow him. Repenting of your sin and saying, hey, I surrender to God. So if that's you today, I just want to pray with you, wherever you're at. So if you don't mind, raise your hand in this moment. No one's looking around. All eyes are closed. All heads are bowed. But I want to pray with you. Pray for the Lord to change your life in the way that he's changed mine and in the way that he's changed so many others. Thank you. Thank you. God, we just thank you so much for life and life abundantly. Lord God, that you truly have moved us from death to life. Lord God, we don't take that for granted. And in that same breath, Lord God, we desire to protect our lives that you've given us. And so Lord, for those that have never had life with you before until this moment, God, we thank you. Whether they're here in person or online, we thank you. God, that you have redeemed us. You desired life so much that you sent your son to die and give us life. And God, we receive that today. We surrender to you. We repent and say, God, we're yours. And Lord, for those of us that have been living with you, as the devil tries to creep in, Lord God, as temptations come, as trials come, God, we desire to be protected. And Lord, we're so gracious that you've given us protection that you've given us armor. God, I pray that we would crown our heads with righteousness, Lord God, in our salvation. Protect our hearts with your righteousness. 
walk with peace with the good news of the gospel. Shield ourselves with faith in you. And Lord God, use your word to fight when we need to. So Lord, I pray that we would take this seriously. I know that this is often a message that I know in my life, I hear and I let go out the other year. But God, even more so, in our day and age, Lord God, we need you. We need you. And so Lord, may we walk out of here bold and confident, knowing that you go before us. And Lord God, that you are fighting for us. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, thank you so much. It's so glad to have you guys here. We're going to have the prayer team up here. For any of you that may need prayer for anything, um, don't hesitate. We have awesome people here that love you, that just want to um, just be a support and bring your needs to the Father. And so they'll be up front here after service. So please come. Um, Again, go and walk in boldness this week. Be light in dark places because the world needs it. And protect yourselves because we need that. So I love you guys and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us online at Mosaic Church. We hope today's message was life-changing and useful. For more info, visit mosaiccincinnati.com.